In this Christmas Carol series, uh, basically the last three weeks, we have been looking at some of the original Christmas carols. And by that, all we're talking about are the songs that were sung about Jesus' birth at the time that it was actually taking place. So we looked at Mary, Jesus' mother. We looked at the song that she sang to Jesus. Um, We looked at Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, and the song that he sang. Uh, Last week, we looked at the song that the angels sung to the shepherds. And today, we're going to look at a man named Simeon and the song that he sings about Jesus. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Um, We'll get to that here in a second. But once again, I'm very blessed to be able to teach this morning with my family. Um, This is my wife, Angie. Um, Her and I are going to kind of be focusing on some of the main points, but my kids wanted to read the scripture. And so they're going to start us off this morning, and they're going to read kind of the passage that we're going to be in today. And so this is Brennan. He is nine. This is Paxton. He is seven. And And that's Brooklyn. She's five. So Brennan's going to kick us off. Once again, Luke chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be um, dedicated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed by him by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for what the custom of the law required. So man took him in his hands and his arms and praised God saying Sovereign Lord as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Good job. You guys can go see me now. Good job. Do it? Okay. So just to recap on that, they, um, Mary and Joseph are bringing baby Jesus, now about 40 days old, as the law required, to the temple to be dedicated. And this was what all good Jewish firstborn sons would do. So this wasn't anything out of the ordinary. This was custom requirement of the law that they bring him. But as they're coming, it's kind of this old man that... We don't know whether they really knew him or not, kind of intercedes and holds Jesus and and proclaims this whole song of celebration, of worship, of who he is, and even kind of prophesying or reminding them the, the purpose, the intention of his birth, why he's here and what his life will lead to. 
And when I read this account, I can't help but think of the term bucket list. And so most of us are probably familiar with it. You may have seen a movie about it. Um, But if you're not, bucket list is simply a list of things you want to do or you hope to do before you die or kick the bucket, as they would say. So in preparing for that, I'm thinking, you know, because it's like he had something he had to do before he died. And ours aren't quite like that. But I in preparing for it. I wanted to ask some people, hey, what's on your bucket list? And maybe it's something you've thought about. Maybe it's not. But these are a few of the responses I got. Um, go to Africa. Go to Greece. We see traveling a lot. People want to see, see the northern lights. Uh, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Have my own kids. They, they want to be a mom or be a dad. Um, and then my favorite, because I don't know what this means, but it was my own mom, says, I want to raise puppies. And I'm like, I think she wants to breed dogs. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Me, myself, though, on my list, at the top of my list, and um, maybe it's crazy, but I want to cage dive with great whites. I've always been intrigued by sharks. I don't want to swim like with them, but I want to see them from the cage. I want to be in the water with them. And I don't know, like I said, if you've thought about things you want to do before you die, um, but we, I think we all have in the back of our minds something in mind we'd like to do. The thing is, we don't know if it'll actually ever happen or not. We don't, we don't, only God knows those things, and our days aren't promised. So it's fun to think about, but nothing's guaranteed. But this is the irony of Simeon's story. He was guaranteed. It was like his bucket list was made by God and said, you will not see death. It will not approach until this one thing was, has happened. And that was that he would see the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. He would witness him. So in Luke 2 here, we're reading about when that day finally arrives. We don't know how long Simeon waited. Uh, it could have been several years, or God could have, the Spirit could have just revealed it to him more recently. But that day arrives, and Simeon holds Jesus in his arms, and he declares what we read in verse 29 and 30. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. But if we look a little closer, let's dive a little deeper here, I think there's a lot more going on than just what we see at the surface. I want us to particularly look at that verse 30 when he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. There's two levels to this statement, and you guys saw, right, I'm a mom of young kids, so I'm used to peeling bananas and peeling cuties, and that's kind of what we're going to do with this scripture, that when we peel back that surface level, the actual kind of the meat of it, what we really want to dive into is what's at the core. And so there's two levels to this statement, like I said. And in English, we have the word see, and we use it multiple ways. I can say, I see you all sitting in your chair, and that would be a vision statement. It's it's my perception, my sense of sight that I'm talking about. But if any of you (laughs) have been helping your kids with their math, like Tim's saying about, or you see um, maybe a professor writing something on the board and you're looking at it, the vision is there, but it makes no sense. And then finally, eventually it clicks and you go, oh, I see. And we're not talking about your vision because you could see it physically the whole time, but oh, I see is more of a perception, right? It's a grasping of the concept. And so we in English use the word see with different meanings, but in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, they actually had several words for see. We interpret them all as see and sometimes perceive or different things, but they had words to differentiate between those different kind of types of see. 
And so we're going to look at that. And I apologize if I'm nerdy and I really love this stuff. I love diving into word studies. I told you I'm a homeschool mom, but I think this will bless everyone if you'll just hang with me here. Okay, so just go with it. Roll with me. Um, there are three, there are actually more than three words that they would have for C. There are a lot, but we're going to look at three of them today. So they've already got it up here for us. And that first that first form of C in Greek, like I said, that's what we're studying because that's what the New Testament was written in originally. And we have this word blepo, okay? And I'm going to butcher some of how this sounds. You can Google it to get the right pronunciation. But blepo essentially is that physical sense of sight. So in the Bible, we talk about uh, in the verses where it says like that Jesus healed and the blind now could see. Uh, you're going to see this because we know he's talking about their physical sense of sight that he restored. And so it was what their actual vision was. So hold on to that thought. Then our second one is theorejo. Okay. And this is actually, you see it, all of them you're going to physically see, but this one has to do with your own interpretation of it. And it's very subjective. It's your opinion and it's brought on by the feelings or emotions. So this is actually where we get our word theater. And it's the concept that you sit and you watch something and it speaks to you. It touches your heart and you interpret it based on your own worldview. It's why you and I could go to a theater and watch a movie or watch a play and walk away interpreting it totally differently different, right? That it's not just one solid truth. It speaks to you and it touches your heart in a certain way. And you may leave with totally different viewpoints of it because it's biased. It's opinionated. Okay. And then this last one, Horejo, okay? And this is our, you see it, and this would be like I talked about in that math concept that you grasp kind of a definite truth. It's this concept um, that it's I want to say based outside of you. It's not about your opinion, but it's a solid truth that we're seeing. Okay, this one's the more objective. So when that math problem made sense and you go, oh, yes, two plus two is four, I get it, right? That would be you saw it and now you get it. And it's not just your opinion, you're getting that solid truth. That's the horejo in Greek, okay? And I want to give you a couple examples elsewhere in the Bible. So in John 16, 16, Jesus goes on and he says, In a little while, you'll see me no more. But then after that, you will see me. And the disciples like, I'm sorry, what? I don't get that. And what he's talking about here is actually his death and resurrection. But... um, Kind of interestingly, that first bit, it's actually, if we had put in these words that we are now familiar with, it would be, in a little while, you will theorejo me no more. And what he's saying is, when I die, and he goes on even to talk about this a couple verses later, he says, very truly, I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. While they think they've conquered me, that I've been defeated, that death has won, you're going to weep and mourn. That will be your interpretation. And what Jesus is essentially saying is, it's wrong. <laughs> you're going to do that. And you, how you perceive me will be no more because when I rise again in a little while, the second part, he says, you will horejo me. Okay. And remember, that's that solid truth. So he's saying, when I die, you'll have this perception that I've been defeated and you'll mourn, but give it a little more time and you'll see the truth for what it is. A few days later, I will resurrect and you will grasp it. Then you'll get it. Okay. Even though both are seeing me, this isn't about physically seeing Jesus. Okay. This is about how we interpret who he is. 
Then another example is in Matthew 13, 14. And it says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. So he's looking back and he says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And so in this one, that first form of you will be ever seeing is that blepo. This is our physical sight. So sure, you're not blind. You can physically see it, but you don't perceive it. And that perceive is our theorejo. You don't get the concept. You don't have the truth. You see it, but it makes no sense. Oh, I'm sorry. Horejo. Thank you. you. But it doesn't, it hasn't resonated. The truth hasn't sunk in. And there are a lot of ways that we can see something and never get it, never truly see it, right? So let's go back to Luke 2, what we're looking at today. I want to look then at um, now that we kind of have this understanding, we're going to reread that verse 30. <clears throat> and so when he says, I don't know if we have that up there, for my eyes have seen your salvation, this isn't about physically seeing Jesus. Now, he might have thought when the Spirit said, you're going to see the Messiah, it was just like, okay, I just got to see him. And, and so he holds this baby, and yes, he sees him physically, but that, in that scripture, it uses horejo. This is not about just seeing the baby. This isn't about just looking at his tiny little fingers and his cute little nose. This is about seeing, truly grasping the truth, seeing Jesus for who he is. And that's why I think he doesn't even say, hey, I saw Jesus. I'm good to go now. He says, I've seen your salvation. Because he looks at this baby, and it's not the baby he sees. It's God himself, the, the unraveling, the fulfillment of what you've promised us, of Israel's consolation, is here. I've seen him. I get it now. And he is salvation to all who will see and will believe. On that day, Simeon horehoed Jesus. He saw the faithfulness of God wrapped up in flesh and sent to earth to redeem his people. Jesus had been the missing piece of this puzzle for him, the long-awaited Messiah, but now he was here. The picture was complete. Simeon was seeing it. And with the picture being complete, that means Simeon's life was complete in a sense as well. And so he confidently declares that verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, like I've seen it, it's been fulfilled, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And so this reminds me of another person I know and loved. It was Ben's grandma, Grandma, grandma Geiger, Grandma Betty, was easily one of my favorite people on this earth. I loved her, and I feared if he broke up with me while we were dating, can I still keep grandma? Like, that's how much I really, like, and so I treasure any time I had with her and the years that I spent with her. She loved Jesus more than anything, and that was not only demonstrated in her life, but also in her death. So a few days before she passed, it was the point she was at hospice at her youngest son's house. And, and if you're familiar with hospice, you know that a lot of times they will ask and they can tell you, hey, people can hang on for a long time if they're waiting for someone. If they're waiting to see someone or waiting for the fulfillment of something, something to happen. And so they will even tell you to like give them permission to go. And I had kind of heard of this and even seen it before. But a friend sat by her bedside. And so, and so he asked, Betty? Is there anyone you're waiting to see? And without hesitation, and only a way Grandma Geiger could, she said, I'm just waiting on Jesus. 
And she had this intimacy with him. And she, because she knew what it was like to be with him on earth, she was excited to be with him forever. And there was no fear in death for her or Simeon. It says there was only peace. They were ready. And I think it's because once you've seen Jesus, like truly horehoed, grasped him, seen him as salvation, is there, any, is there really anything left to see? You know, at that point, you've seen all that matters. And so many are going to see Jesus physically, maybe even and especially that Theoreho. We all have our interpretations, right? What we think Jesus should be, and we create this box we want him to fit inside rather than letting him define the fact that he cannot be put in a box. But Jesus, and, and that's part of the problem, Jesus didn't come as the way that many of the Jews expected, right? They were waiting for, even though there had been a million prophecies about what's going to happen, I shouldn't say million, that's an exaggeration, lots of prophecies about what he would be like. And, but they were still, in their own head, they had this idea, he's going to be this king, he's going to ride in powerfully with an army behind him and overtake Rome and our oppression will be over. And so as he enters as this helpless baby... <laughs> They miss it because it's not what they expected. It didn't fit their interpretation. And still today, Jesus seems to enter our lives in sometimes the most inconvenient or unexpected ways. And because he doesn't fit in our box, many of us will miss him. We won't see him for what he is. But I don't know about you. I don't want to miss him. I want to see him the way Simeon saw him. I want to look at Jesus and declare, I've seen salvation. I've seen the face of salvation. So I asked, what did Simeon have then that the others didn't? How was he able to see him for who he truly was? That's my cue. I um, <laughs> didn't know she was going to talk about Grandma Geiger at this point. <laughs> so, um, but yes, that is the question, okay? And if you guys care about yourselves, I hope you care about your life. And if you do, then that question should be a big deal to you. How was Simeon able to truly see Hurejo. And the answer is given to us in verse 26. So if we jump to verse 26, I'm going to read the beginning of it real quick. So the beginning of verse 26 says, it had been revealed to him. It had been revealed to him. That's how Simeon was able to truly see. Because you see, personal revelation is one of the most important things in scripture. Okay, because personal revelation is the key to true understanding. But what does revelation even mean? What does it mean to truly have something revealed? I'm going to try to illustrate it real quick. So let's pretend that I really want a candy cane. Okay? It's Christmas time, and this is just pure sugary goodness. And so I want a candy cane. And so I set out to go get myself a candy cane. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but that situation, naturally, it automatically implies several different things. But one of which would be, in order for me to set out to go get a candy cane, I have to already know what it is. Right? Or at least have any success or with any sanity. For me to go get a candy cane, I would know what it is before I go looking for it. Correct? Now, I want to ask you another question. If I were to have a candy cane revealed to me, how does the scenario change? What would the difference be? In fact, I could technically have a candy cane in my possession. If I don't know what it is, 
I could technically be possessing a candy cane, and you could come up to me, and you could say, hey, Ben, do you have a candy cane? And I would be like, mm, no, sorry, I don't. But then you could potentially say, uh, yes, yes, you do. And then you could proceed to reveal to me what a candy cane actually is. And so do you see the difference? You see the difference? Honestly, there's a couple different differences, but the big one that I'm looking for, revelation is completely dependent on a someone. On a someone. The who is way more important than the what or the how or the when. Most people are so focused on getting something out of life. And guys, that could be good things. That could include things like love, joy, fulfillment, purpose, dignity, peace. We want those things. Those are good things too. But if we prioritize these things over the only someone who actually knows what they are, my friends, we're going to miss out on both. We're going to miss out on both. Why was Simeon able to truly understand? Let's go back to verse 26. He could understand because it had been revealed to him. We covered that. But remember, in order for revelation to truly take place, you have to know the who. Simeon knew the who. The who was at work in his life. Who was the someone that he had a connection with? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Simeon could see Horeo through the work of the Holy Spirit. True understanding isn't just about what is being understood. It is ultimately about who helped you understand it. Who is helping you guys understand and that includes the most minuscule little things in our lives. Who is helping you understand? D.L. Moody said, you might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, or breathe without lungs as to try and live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you, is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Because without him, you'll go, see, you'll go on seeing, but you won't see, you won't hurayho. True understanding has to come through him. And so how do we know? How do we know if he's at work in our life? The best way to examine, the best way to test ourselves, to see if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in our heart is revealed at the end of verse 26. And it's through the way in which the Holy Spirit was at work in Simeon's heart. So we're going to wrap up here by looking at the end of verse 26. Why could Simeon truly see? Because revelation was truly at work in his life. Revelation is based on the who, he knew the proper someone. It's the Holy Spirit. But when you truly know the Holy Spirit, what does he care about? The same thing he cared about with Simeon. So let's finish this verse. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that because he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That is what the Holy Spirit cares about, people knowing who Jesus truly is. Now, obviously, like Angie talked about, our stories can't be exactly like Simeon's, okay? None of us are ever going to see baby Jesus in person, but it wasn't about seeing him in that capacity anyways. That's not even what it was about. It was about hurayho, seeing Jesus from God's perspective. And if we're going to see things from God's perspective, we need God. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And my friends, from that standpoint, we can all have the exact same experience as Simeon. And so I wasn't planning on this, but I want to pray real quick. Please pray with me. Jesus, you are good. You are a creator. You love us. 
Our world seems like it's falling apart, but like, the, like you told the disciples, you work your way like a little bit of yeast in a ball of dough. And so, God, please be at work in the hearts in this room. Humble us. Holy Spirit, please come and do what you do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Once again, guys, from the standpoint, from the standpoint of seeing Jesus with Horeo, we can have the exact same experience as Simeon. And so I want to close with my part. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who Jesus Christ truly, truly is? I was going to take your mic. Okay, so just to wrap up here, we, I want to sit there. So for the last week, really probably the last month, and some of you who just love the holidays, you might have been celebrating longer than a month at this point, but we've been celebrating his birth. And today we move into the 40 days later, and we talk about kind of almost one of his first steps that we see in the Bible of what was next was the dedication. But we're going to move into our time of communion, and that's a time of remembrance of his death and his sacrifice for us. And I can't help but see so many parallels from the dedication to his death and what it meant and the purpose behind all of them. And I want to share some of you. I want to share some of those with you. So just thinking back to our text, the irony here, you can't miss it. They're bringing Jesus to the temple, okay? At first we had the tabernacle and then the temple and the whole point of them, this place of worship where God could be and dwell among the people. And, and they wanted him, you know, in the Holy of Holies was the spirit of God. But think of this with me now. Here comes Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, proving that he cannot be confined to the temple. He walked, it wasn't close, it wasn't intimate enough for God. So he wrapped himself in flesh and said that he could really be among you, right? And then they're only there out of this obedience, this requirement to the law. It said the firstborn son had to be dedicated, right? But years later, we'll see Jesus proclaim, no, I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm going to cover all of it. And I, I picture Mary coming in, when it said, with these two birds, pigeons or turtle doves, right? And one would be a burnt offering, and the other would be a sin offering. And I laugh thinking it's a sin offering for the one who was without sin, right? And, and the, again, we look years down the road, we connect us to the fact that she's handing them a bird as a sin offering while holding the baby that would be the ultimate sin offering for all of us. And I don't know if they saw it on that day, but I know we can see it today. And then I also, I mean, they came dedicating him to God. That was the purpose, right? And I wonder, did they know that he was only there because God was already so dedicated to them, right? Ann Voskamp in her Advent study writes this, what religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender that we could touch him, so fragile that we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? Only the one who loves them to death. It's only the one who loves you to death. And as we take our communion and we, and we hold the juice and the bread, which represents his blood and his body, we think this, this birth was special and it was miraculous, but it was the purpose behind it, what he would do years later and how it was connected 
that means everything. And so Ben's going to pray for us, and then you'll move into a time of communion. And just focus on that. I want us to get it. I want it to sink in. Do you see it? Do you see who he is? He loves you. And all of this was that he would one day die for you, take your sins and your punishment upon himself. This is the long-awaited Messiah.